we've got massive truancy problem in New Zealand. Almost half the country's students aren't regularly in class. Fewer Kiwi teens are passing NCA each year. When it comes to writing, only a third of Kiwi high school students could pass. The results have sparked fears that some students could grow up to be illiterate. Now, it's a story we hear almost every day at the moment. Youngsters running around in stolen cars committing crimes. And in some cases, they're kids who have been expelled from school. When it comes to schooling, who helps the unhelpable? Unless you know one of the Kiwi kids enrolled there, you may have never heard of alternative education until last week when this report came out. Well, the Education Review Office is calling for an urgent overhaul of our alternative education sector, which currently serves around 2,000 at-risk students. So what we saw is that alternative education is just not providing these learners with the quality education they deserve. We saw inadequate funding that doesn't match their needs, um, facilities that were run down, but also we saw really poor teaching, unfortunately, because um, only one in five of these educators are registered teachers. Special schools run by a combination of teachers and social workers trying to get students to pass NCEA literacy and numeracy. Alternative education programs are teaching New Zealand's most at-risk youth, but they're coming up short. Less than one in 10 alternative learners achieve NCEA level two. By the age of 18, more than a third had police proceedings against them for an offence, and by the age of 20, almost 70% are receiving benefits. But if kids can't make progress here, where can they go? Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, the problems facing alternative education. We'll hear from the head teacher at an alternative education programme in Taranaki, but first, that Aero report. I think the report is incredible. It's probably the most comprehensive research in the last 30 years that's been done in alternative education. That's Dr Judy Bruce. She's an education researcher and consultant who used to work in alternative education. She says the problems raised in the report have been around for a long time. A very long time. It's historical, and I think it it really comes from the origins of the sector. So it began... The earliest alternative education um, model, I guess you would say, or example, was in Cannons Creek, and it was set up by Lloyd Martin at Puriroa College, and it was for students that had become disenfranchised and sort of disengaged from the education system there, and that was in the 80s. And then what happened in the 90s is that, yeah, I mean, for me personally, I I feel quite connected to the story because I was uh, working as a teacher, physical education teacher, and I had been previously working, volunteering as a youth worker, um, and a school phoned me up and asked if I would consider helping them set up some kind of alternative, and that was in the 90s, uh, mid-90s. And so what happened is that we did set up a program that was in Christchurch, and it was a it was very grassroots um, sort of ad hoc movement that that, that sort of emerged um, slowly over over the 90s and the ministry picked it up and started to f- partially fund it um, from about 2000, around that time. So it's always been a state philanthropic partnership, which in some ways it's been a strength of the sector, but in many ways it's I think it's been a, um, a real struggle for the sector. It's never been funded um, in the way that it should be. Yeah, well, what was making all these students more disenfranchised from school in the 80s and 90s? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I've 
I guess, you know, there was a political shift day towards neoliberalism and I think an an impact that that began to have across New Zealand and, and society as a whole, we began to see quite significant shifts. I always think of alternative education almost like the, you know, the, the saying of the canary in the coal mine? Mm. It's like it's a, it, it's a signal of crisis or trouble coming. And so this is back in the 90s, right? So we were talking about 30 years ago. There was the early signs of um, increased numbers of students disengaging from a traditional secondary school system that no longer met the needs. It's like the schooling system has always been a sort of industrial model and it's very one size fits all. Historically, anyone that didn't fit within the system was excluded. So you sort of had a choice. You could either assimilate, you know, and be included, but but in, but adapt who you were to the system, or you would be excluded. The school where we started the, the alternative education program in Christchurch, there was um, quite a strong youth work program associated with the school, and they saw real benefit in the way that the youth workers were engaging with young people who were otherwise disenfranchised. That was quite different from how it was at school. Exactly. And they really wanted to bring together those two worlds of youth development and education. Some really successful alternative education programs are very much grounded in effective youth development work. Sadly, that's often not the reality. It's always like historically been seen as out of sight, out of mind in a way, because alternative education programs always operate off off site and away from the school. There's also been talk of it being like a dumping ground. It's a place where you young people go and are excluded in a way. And so it's a story that hasn't been told very often. Over the last 30 years, some politicians have advocated for more funding, but it doesn't happen much. In the 2023 budget, we did see an increase in um, in funding per place, which was relatively significant, but still far too inadequate. Well, it's still not enough and we have these poor outcomes, yeah. Yeah, it's still not enough by by a long shot. And I guess that's what the Aero Report is, is wanting to bring attention to, which is that it is incredibly underfunded and it is a model that they would say needs an overhaul. I tend to, as a researcher in the field, I tend to agree. I think that alternative education as it is really needs to be hospiced. There are some beautiful things about it that are incredible. Um, And there's a lot of actually really great practice that happens that schools, mainstream schools can learn from. However, it's, yeah, the funding model is very broken. Kia ora, my name is Christina Galley and I uh, run an alternative education programme in New Plymouth, Taranaki. Christina teaches alternative education through Zeal, a youth centre that has branches nationwide. The report is alarming and scathing, but at the same time, not entirely unsurprising. The young people in alternative education are disadvantaged in a lot of ways. I think the thing from the ERA report that I found frustrating is the comparisons between students who are on alternative education and ones who ERA have called comparable. But I'm not sure how they came up with these statistics of what's comparable. The students who are not in alternative education haven't been removed from mainstream school. So therefore, in and of itself, there is a massive difference between those two groups because those students who've been removed from mainstream school 
have a lot of them got the message that they that they're too hard and that they're dumb and that they're not capable of learning and that people don't believe in them and so I don't think you can compare students who've been removed from mainstream school with students that have that are still in mainstream school I don't think that that comparison is fair so this report gives alternative education a bad name yes I think so but I guess what Eero were trying to highlight is the struggles that alternative education providers face and um, the massive funding inefficiencies and the fact that alternative education doesn't have registered teachers and young people deserve qualified teachers. Well, tell me about alternative education. What kind of young people are you working with? We're working with a group of young people aged 14 to 16 who've been removed from mainstream education. Some of those were removed from education by their own choice. They didn't want to be in mainstream school, but the majority of them were removed from mainstream education for behavioural reasons. So we tend to have a lot of young people who struggle with their anger that might have ADHD or learning difficulties that are coming from backgrounds which are quite unstable, a history of truancy from school, often a history of, of moving, being moved between different whānau regularly, so a history of instability um, with their schooling. And so they arrive disengaged from education and a lot of them arrive and they do not even believe in their own ability to learn. Christina says, adding to that, underfunding means alternative education providers often only last about two years before they can't run their programmes anymore. Oh, the funding is appalling. Um, The program costs about three times as much to run as we get paid to run it. The funding doesn't even cover staffing, let alone covering the rent, the power, resources, food, all the other things that are needed to run the program. Where do you get the rest Um, of the money from? um, So our regional manager fundraises to cover those costs from other places, whether that's um, grant funding uh, or other additional funding that he has to try and source. But, yes, the program itself runs a massive deficit, um, and so that's why so many providers um, are so short-lived, and that's why very few providers' programs have registered teachers because alternative education programs can't afford to pay registered teachers. The Aero report wasn't all doom and gloom. It did have some good things to say about alternative education, as Judy Bruce points out. There's some things like, for example, we know that work and um, they were the good things. They're the things that um, that research has shown over many years. Small, small groups of young people working in close relationship with adults who really care about them as people first and as learners second, <laughs> right? Creating a safe space. Those are some of the things that, re- that the report showed as being really successful. Some of the things that the report um, highlighted that are of concern is the um, the training and qualifications and the lack of uh, registered teachers in the sector. I would um, agree with that and I do think that we need to see a lot more registered teachers employed in the sector so that would require a significant funding shift because it's expensive compared to what, how it's currently funded. But I would go further and say that the teachers would then, because you could employ a registered teacher and they may not connect very well with the young people. So they need to be registered teachers who have specialised training in a range of areas in order that they might really support a young person to to get better outcomes. But it seems like sometimes you have youth workers that are teaching 
these children NCA Level 1 who haven't been qualified, I guess, as a teacher, haven't been registered. Is that a problem? There are some youth workers that are actually trained well to deliver on um, on the NZQA framework. So it's a little more nuanced than that. But essentially, yes, there is a problem where you have an alternative education sector that requires a lot more professional learning and development support and a lot more uh, registered teachers. And the ideal is really, I think, as, as a registered teacher with secondary experience and a registered teacher with primary school experience who are employed um, according to the union PPPTA or NZEI conditions, right, and who have some youth development training or youth work training and some youth workers and support workers and wraparound workers and tutors to, to be part of that programme as well. There's very low numbers that are actually going on to get NCA Level 2 as well. Yeah, but remember, these are young people that are coming in, many of whom are coming in with huge gaps in their learning already. So, like, uh, they might be 13 or 14 and coming into alternative education with a reading age of 7 or 8, for example. So to expect, on average, remember, they're only there for one year. So to expect them to suddenly go from reading at year 7, 8 to achieving... Um, NCA Level 2 is is just not realistic. And also the other thing with transition, a young person might transition from alternative education back into school with the capability to achieve NCA Level 2, but they find the system hasn't changed, right? So the system that disenfranchised them in the first place is still the same system that they go back into and nothing's changed. So that makes it extremely difficult for them to experience success tiny, a very small number to do, but it wouldn't be the usual story. What do you think for the future? You talked about alternative education being hospiced. Yeah, I mean, the report, you know, it talks about a complete overhaul. I do think it needs a complete overhaul as well. I I kind of lament a little and regret a little its origins, which of which I was a part of. And um, But, you know, it always began as that state philanthropic partnership and a grassroots response and very ad hoc. And I, and I kind of think maybe, you know, it's been really hard to shift it away from that. So it very much needs to happen. That shift needs to happen. There was a review in 2011 that found that there needed to be significant shifts in the use of alternative education. Now, you know, we're in 2023. Nothing's really changed, it seems. Uh, I agree. I think it's, to be honest, I think it's quite appalling. Yeah, that the that the sector has not been recognised in the way that it ought to be and funded appropriately. And I, you know, I, I'm, I think the Aero report, I hope that some action will come out of this. I think many people in the sector, we've, I've been in it for 30 years and I haven't seen significant change happen. So I don't really hold a lot of hope. But on the other hand, I, yeah. On the other hand, I hope, you know, because it's what we do and it's a sector that cares. It's sustained by an ethics of care. It's sustained by care, 100%. The students who stay with us for a year can get NCA level ones, but the ones who are only here for six months can't. Um, And there is a number of students who aren't able to maintain their place on the programme for a full year. We also have the issue that until recently, students were expected to move on when they turned 16. So when they turned 16, if they wanted to remain on the program, we had to apply for an exemption to keep them. And most students turn 16 in the middle of year 11. 
So they didn't have the time to complete NCEA level one before they had to leave. Thankfully, that has changed and we can now keep them to the end of year 11. Well, it sounds almost like you're being set up to fail. Yeah, it often feels that way. And the changes that are coming to NCEA level one are only going to make things worse. Um, the implementation of the, the digital literacy and numeracy tests are going to make it incredibly hard for alternative education students to achieve level one, partly because of the trauma of having to return to their enrolling schools to sit those assessments. But also the nature of unit standards was that young people can collect evidence of their ability over time, whereas in future it's going to come down to a digital test that you only have two chances a year to sit. And so if you fail that digital test, then your whole motivation for education and for learning is going to disappear because what would be the point if I can't pass the online test? Christina used to be a teacher in the mainstream system and says this job is more meaningful, but she has taken a pay cut to do it. One of the difficulties is, is that I also have a much greater responsibility than I did in mainstream education. Here I teach all of the subjects as well as doing, I guess, the role of what a deputy principal would do too. Um, having to make those calls about removing students from the program and calls that have massive impacts on young people's lives. And I didn't have that level of responsibility um, when I was just teaching mainstream. So you sometimes have to remove students from the program? Yes, we do, and it's incredibly heartbreaking. But there are a proportion of young people where the instability in their lives, the trauma of their lives, the behavioural issues in their lives mean that they're not able to maintain their place on the programme. The last thing I ever want to do is be the next person who said, you're too hard. And these young people deserve support. They deserve education. They deserve to have the best rather than being kind of left behind. Well, if you have to remove them, where do they go? Sometimes they're able to get onto the other alternative education program in town. Sometimes they are able to enrol on Takota online. But unfortunately, a large majority of them are lost. A large majority of the ones who are removed do not move on to further education. And that's incredibly heartbreaking because they are the most at-risk young people. Um, they're the ones who are transient, who are moved between different couches. They're the ones in emergency accommodation. Because of everything they're going through, they simply can't maintain their place on the programme. So we've got some incredible young people who have finished here on the programme. Um, we had a student last year, was the first student in North Taranaki Alternative Education to achieve NCA Level 1. Um, and he has moved on to studying carpentry at Pukinga Wit here, um, which has always been his dream to study carpentry. But his story is incredible and awesome and worth celebrating. But what's even more worth celebrating to me is his best friend who arrived at alternative education with really low literacy and numeracy. He achieved, I think, 62, 65 credits in the end, including literacy and numeracy. And for me, his story is even more remarkable because of how far he came. He never would have achieved those results in mainstream school. And how far he grew is incredible. That's not measured in statistics because statistically he didn't achieve in CA level one, but his growth in his learning and his growth in himself as a person was phenomenal. 
and he is now in full-time employment and he has he's making us incredibly proud so stories like his aren't measured in the statistics but they're just as valuable do you ever hear from some of the students that have left your school or your alternative education service all the time in fact there's one in the building right now And one of the most valuable parts of my job is when I have those young people who call me or come in and say, Chrissy, I got a job. I got a full-time job. Or I got into this program that I wanted to get into. Or I finished my course. And they walk in with this pride. And when something great happens in their life, the first person they want to tell is the staff that believed in them. And that is by far the best part of my job. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Bonnie Harrison, Alexia Russell and Sarah Robson. Thanks to Dr Judy Bruce and Christina Galley. Ma te wa.